Welcome. Welcome to Conversations in Compassion, a podcast by Dignity Maine, a program of Agape. And made possible by the contributions to Agape. Thank you. This is a different podcast. Instead of interviews, we have conversations. This is my attempt to demonstrate examples of what I call compassionate conversation. Through these conversations, I hope to address the discord in our families, in our communities, and in ourselves. And finally, to focus on the greatest need of our time, the need for compassion. Everyone, you listen to this, I really hope, um, even though it's audio, that you experience what I experienced in this room of this tender, this loving woman who is holding people with great integrity and with hopes that people find a way to practice in the moment with individuals and couples to be just like me. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I'm very, very honored. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, You've got your own podcast series, so now I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Uh, You've uh, done some really nice work around uh, heart-centered therapy and thinking about that. And uh, I sort of want to begin there. And just uh, what have have you learned with your podcast series and uh, your own life there around heart-centered therapy? Oh, thank you for that question. That's, that's a beautiful question. Um, it means so much to me because I've always wanted to do a podcast. Um, I started just really loving podcasts, not just therapy podcasts, but all different genres. And it was sort of a dream and I never really got there. And then I finally just decided, even though my life was completely full to do it. And it's been amazing especially because of the connections I've made with people. That has been probably the most surprising thing to me mm. is, and, and yet it shouldn't be because that's the heart centered approach when we do connect with somebody else heart to heart. And mm. that's been so important. Um, but for me, it's really also about awareness and spreading the message about the importance of being able to access mental health and having providers, therapists, service providers who really care about the people they serve. It's a wonderful kind of context of uh, trying to create a field, a place, a mental health system that cares deeply. And uh, there's a balance in there about caring deeply and getting tired and (laughs) And also caring at all because you're feeling oppressed by the systems itself. And so how do you how do you hold on to this vision of a heart-centered therapist in the midst of that oppression? Right. It 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 takes it takes dedication and it takes that inner desire to really go to that place because it demands a lot of us, as you know. I mean, I, I, we go back a ways, Stephen. I was thinking maybe 2007, I'm not sure, but quite a ways. And I learned so much of that from you that we, 
we hold that care for our clients and see them with delight, even though some things they do may not appeal to us. How do we find that care and delight in them? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's very similar for the therapist or the provider. We have to find a way to not be so overwhelmed that we have nothing to give. That's the balance. You know, how can we sit with emotions and be aware and and sit with and guide, but not completely absorb it so that we mm. are no longer helpful. Mm. And there, there's a, there's some kind of a talent or uh, to, to be delighted about people and, and face their trauma, face their incredible hardships, uh, what they're going through. And at the same time, not absorb it. I love to, you said, you just, you don't want to absorb it into your your soul. And there's almost a little bit of a distance, a detachment there. Right. And that's the tricky balance because, you know, we do absorb it. We're human, right? And so it's that capacity to be there and to feel, but pull back just enough so we can still be in service. Um, And then I think for the the heart-centered approach, um, anybody who's doing this, you have to then take care of yourself. And that self-care, as we know, is the really hard work. Mm-hmm. And that's a common term that's thrown around a lot. And uh, um, I'm wondering what you think that is. What is self-care? I mean, uh, you know, some people would say, uh, you know, I drink enough water. Uh, um, I get I get some decent sleep. Uh, but what is that yeah. thing called self-care? Yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Honestly, I wish I could have this beautiful answer, but I think that's part of it. It self-care is is going to develop depending on also what your needs are. You know, sometimes for me it might be, you know, being able to go outside and go for a run. Other times it might mean I need to get up and, you know, do some some prayer and some some spiritual centering, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think it varies. And somebody who can really understand and be aware of themselves, just like we're encouraging the people we work with to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes our self-care is, you know, not so healthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always about water. <laughs> right. Now you're talking about my coffee drinking. I know you're going to bring that up. No, no, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's um, there's a dilemma, and that is that a lot of people come into the field because that was the role they had in their family. They had this uh, role to care for mm. um, siblings, or even the parents themselves, in these upside down families. And uh, so they almost graduate and go into and what is can be called the wounded healer. Um, and how do how do you help people really be a heart centered therapist when they believe that they're there for people, and at the same time they're really there for their own trauma? How do you sort that out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a brilliant question. Thank you for that. And I'll say we're so much on the same wavelength, Stephen, as I was driving to the studio today, I thought about Henry Nowen and the wounded healer and how that was so primary for me in my education. Mm. Um, 
as a good Jewish girl, right? <laughs> Reading Henry now. And so um, really, I think that heart-centered approach requires us to be vulnerable, to look at our own vulnerability and visibility at the same time. Um, and, and so with that, it's, yes, we have our traumas. We have those wounded places we come from. Mm. And that can inform us. That can help us understand without disclosing all the time, right? But mm -hmm. I can put forth a guess of an emotion that somebody else is feeling because I've experienced that same thing. Mm. That's the empathy. That's the compassion. And, 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 and then if, if I'm responsible as a wounded healer to care for, then I start fixing that I'm doing power over and that I've re-traumatized people. Right. And they, it's all in a kind of an emotional subtlety. And the heart-centered therapist is the one that says, I feel, I sense, I get, I see you, I value you. And I don't feel any responsibility to fix you because maybe you're not even broken. Mm. Yeah. And so you mentioned something. I thought, what is a, what is a Jewish girl? Uh, how does that come into this practice of yours? Oh, well, I think it's, it's very important. And, you know, I don't talk about it too much. I talk about it here because I'm so comfortable with you, Stephen, and we know each other so well. And I know your compassion extends to all and that safety that you bring is so important. And it's not so safe to identify as Jewish right now. So I appreciate you holding that space. Um, but it, it really comes down to... Um, love of your fellow human being, you know, mm. that's a, a central prayer for us that, that we love our neighbor like ourselves. And sure, it's the golden rule. We're, we're all really the same. Mm. Um, and so I take that. That's, that's very fundamental. Mm. Right. And, and it goes back to that delighting. We don't always like somebody, but how do we find that just like me in them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that can become even a spiritual thing. Mm, I love that. Mm. Just like me. Mm -hmm. They were all, we we're all the same. Yeah. And uh, you, you're sort of gingerly walking into this um, Jewish girl, Jewish woman um, because of our times and, mm. And uh, just feeling like yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to step into. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I would say that, well, two things. One, that just like me part is I, I train a lot of students. I mm. am an internship site. And so I train a lot of students. Mm. And that's a very difficult concept mm. to teach and and yet I think it's so important um, mm. you know so a lot of that is what I is what I do and what I think that new people coming into the field really need to know mm. how can they hold that compassionate space for everybody mm. you don't learn that in grad school you learn that by 
being there, by walking with, sitting with. Mm-hmm. It's in the practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's in the everyday practice. Yeah. Yeah. And the awareness that you talked about earlier, just that kind of awareness. When do I separate from people and when do I walk in the context of just like me? Mm. Yeah. And to you, it's uh, it, it's not really therapy. It's a, it's a spiritual practice. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, and that is what I really believe. And I say that I could not do this work if I didn't have a spiritual practice. Mm. And if I didn't feel that, um, you know, there was something greater at work, you know, sometimes Mm. I will sit there and, and, you know, just like open my hands, open my hands in like an open Mm -hmm. position, just because I know that it's not just me here and I might need a little help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just, you can feel that it's not just you and the person you're trying to serve. There's actually something greater in the room. There's something greater and there's also something greater propelling me to do this. You know, Mm. I I do a lot of couples work. And Mm. for me, that is also connected because when we can bring that peace within the home and that peace within a couple, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, those those blessings just really then spread out for the children, for the community. And so, again, it really is community. And. You know, my faith, Judaism, is a very communal tradition. Mm. And mm. so it's no wonder that we do a lot with our community and want to help. Mm. It's, um, I'm, I'm learning. So thank you, first and foremost, uh, and Judaism for you and how it really is the fiber of who you are and can't separate therapy and the work I do from this is just who I am. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and part of that for me, you know, as, as a woman is I, um, have a modest tradition as a woman in Judaism. And so I feel like that really helps me as a therapist Mm -hmm. because there don't have to be pretenses. I can show up fully and feel like my, my heart is working. My mind is working. I don't have to worry about anything. Um, and that's really important too. To, mm. to center myself. And right. so I've really found that to be a, a beautiful practice. Yeah. You're, you're bringing now this whole concept of, you know, me as a woman in Judaism and, and then I have this mm, modest, you know, sort of, I'm not in the front line. I'm not, it's not egocentric. It's actually of service. Uh, it's, it's uh, vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right. It's richly vulnerable. And it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. And that comes to my work again in terms of, I don't know where this is going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's right. a mystery. There's a mystery. And yet it keeps you connected. Right. And so that helps with the fear because the work we do in the world of, of service and therapy comes with a lot of risk and fear. We don't know the suffering we're going to meet mm. and we need the strength and the compassion to be there. And what I noticed is that it gets a little more pain in the community that it gets harder 
for people to hold on to that modest, that compassion, that it's almost as if I need to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder how you keep your holding on to that spirit, holding on to that modest mm-hmm. Judaism woman that you are. Ah, oh, thank you. Well, it, it really becomes um, part of your integrity, part of my integrity. Mm-hmm. I, I would hope that it continues to be. It does take practice. It's it's not it's not something that I take for granted. And mm-hmm. so I think that's it, it does become another practice in a way. I mean, it's it's not meditative, but I could you know, I could see something similar where um, that's that's a reminder for you. And again, it, it connects to how we want to be in this world. Mm. You know, we, we want to walk into our homes at the end of the day and remember that, you know, this is a gift. We can leave our stress and we're looking forward to seeing our family or, you know, coming in with that compassionate stance. So it really informs so much. And you're that you can feel that's that again, your religion, your, spiritual practice, your being a woman and the modesty that's given to you as part of the community um, has given you this place of just holding the community all the time, just thinking about the larger context. And um, even as the pain grows, you do something that's important to you. And whether that might be a prayer or context or practice of self-care, something holds you in that spiritual place that you remind yourself even in the face of pain. Yeah. Do you have an idea of that? I think it's it's a returning. It's mm. a returning to that place and mm. knowing that it's there for you. Mm. You know, and... and we have a saying like you, you can always return. You can always come back, mm. you know, and that's on the individual level too. Look, we have, all of us has stressful days and, mm. and difficult times and times when we're just not our best selves. And, you know, my hand is up for sure. Mm. Um, but then there's something else that can center you mm. and remind you of your identity and purpose broader purpose community. And I think that's why you and I have been such good friends over the years and now mm-hmm. sharing space. Mm-hmm. So wonderful because it's, it's that belief in community and mm-hmm. the healing that happens. Yeah. The, this social capital, this uh, community, this certain, there are certain values that we can hold together, you know, as a community to try to heal and not to try to feel responsible for, but to allow it to be a larger context of community. Right. And to hold that kind of vulnerability and the modesty that you talked about. Uh, and the mystery of not knowing where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And just always building community, even when you've had your not so great sides of you, you know, then it's time to return. I love that. Yeah. Time to return. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a funny story. Um, I was in um, a 
synagogue service one day and the rabbi asked, you know, why do you all come to services? That's what we call it. Why do you come to shul, the Yiddish word? And so people would say, well, you know, to pray or, you know, um, because my father did, because it's a family thing. And one man said, for the social aspect. And in a way, like all hands went up because that's really, truly what it is about. Mm. That that social aspect is such a bond. Mm. Mm. This is a you know a spot a spot for me that I've got to stay close to you rather than take off because I I have such a love for this issue of building community. Yeah, and um, I just you know I really appreciate what you're you know saying is that you know the healing is in the belonging. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a, a heart-centered therapist and an individual or the couples that you work with or the larger circle of going to the synagogue or mm-hmm. a church or a 12-step meeting or wherever it is, uh, that that there is a fellowship. Fellowship, exactly. And that fellowship, I think we need to just bring to such greater fruition right now. We, we long for that. And going back to the original question, Stephen, that's one of the reasons I created the heart Sensor therapist community, which is a community on Facebook mm. for therapists, because we are in so much isolation, mm. um, working in private practice or virtually mm. and, and also with what we do. And so to have community like that, I feel is very important. And that's the culture that I'd like to create with the heart centered therapist podcast, that it's a place where you might listen and feel a sense of community. That you have a sense of belonging to somebody else that is speaking to you and speaking some of your values and what's important. And, and, uh, you can feel that you're also trying to make sure, I think you said it earlier about interns and, you know, teaching people about how to, how to be really with people. And that doesn't come from graduate school. It comes from practice and you're trying to create it on multi-levels. Yeah. Yeah. Values is so important to me. And I think that's a big part of also w- what I try to, to share with the grad students, you know, so that they can see their work from maybe a different place, not just from the education they're getting in school about theory, but from a different place and to really help them look into their own values so that they can be the type of helper they want. Yeah. Where they can hold uh, those words just like me. Mm, So hard and so Mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. The, uh, can I switch a little bit? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) There's, um, there's an epidemic going on. Um, around opiate use, misuse, that um, people are trying to celebrate right now because it's got 16% lower, mm-hmm. although it's still in the 600s. And, yeah. and there are a lot of families and children and they're impacted by it. And I'm curious about um, the... The evidence is there's less empathy in the field of mental health and addiction for this crisis. And I'm wondering about what you think about all that. Well, I would, I would say that I see that evidence, unfortunately, with a lot of 
people coming into the field not wanting to work with folks that have been touched by substance misuse and abuse and and even families you know oh i i i can't deal with that i can't work with that and it just breaks my heart and if there's one thing i complain about it's it's often that mm-hmm. um, so i think it's unfortunate the evidence is there i think we're not getting enough um proper and helpful training in school. I was fortunate because, you know, I attended your motivational interviewing (laughs) trainings. I had uh, some wonderful professors. um, And I mean, this is a long time ago, folks, but (laughs) right. But, but it was, it was a very community-based type of education that I got as well, (laughs) where we had people, um, peers, consumers come in and, (laughs) and tell us like what real life circumstances were. Mm. Um, I think there's less of that now and Mm. it's to the misfortune of the profession. Mm. And I, and I also think some of it is um, insurance based Mm. that, you know, with problems with Medicaid reimbursement and other Mm. things, it makes it hard for providers to sometimes get in there and really help. It's, It's systemic. It's an incredible systemic Set, set of issues. Uh, I'm always you know, always uh, interested in the story about uh, this doctor who went to uh, work in a clinic and uh, they told him he couldn't be a doctor. He could only wash feet. And as more he washed the feet of the people who came into this um, clinic um, and uh, one day somebody says, I think, I think you're a doctor, aren't you? And that was the only time he had permission to finally do his medicine. And I think there's something missing in the field, as you just said, that, that we're not washing the feet. Mm. We're not, we're not uh, experiencing just like me. Yeah. There's a gap and uh, systematically it's, really fundamental in what you just said is how can you do just like me if, if you don't have that kind of, you know, felt sense that you were talking about. Right. Right. And that experience where, you know, you're with somebody else. I mean, where maybe you, you get to drive somebody in your, in your car. Like we don't do this anymore. Right. Right. But that kind of, that kind of experience where you're with somebody who is unhoused or you're helping somebody, um, in a crisis on on a really, uh, you know, like on that street level, Mm. I just don't think people get that same training and it, and it's, Mm. it's heartbreaking because then Mm. there's this gap and the gap keeps widening. Mm. And it kind of follows the economic gaps that, uh, that, you know, people have less and then people who have, have more and becomes more and more about that kind of economic gap, spiritual gap. Yeah. And, and we don't see the spirituality of them. I can remember just a really small story, Stephen, of, um, when I was doing a clinical case management internship, Mm. right? So I was still a student. I was driving this, this man who was unhoused we were going over the bridge and it was fall and he said look at those beautiful colors of the trees Mm. you know and and i'm thinking business and what we have to do and try to get to the grocery store the food bank or whatever it was and he's reminding me to look at the beauty of the trees that's what it's about to me Mm. 
looking at the beauty of the soul of the person in front of you. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we have to we have to sadly end this thing, Uh-oh. this conversation. Um, so I, I'm I'm kind of wanting to summarize that you know how beautiful you speak about community and how beautiful you talk about that modesty and that kind of vulnerability and uh, how you see all of what you are as a human in this work called uh, heart-centered therapy. I can't, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and your thinking as a beautiful person trying to do this work and teach others. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you so much, Stephen. I go back to so many lessons you taught me, having those soft eyes and the open heart. And so it feels like kinship to me. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for listening to today's conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you find your podcast. I'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to all the contributors to Agape Inc. for their support in making this podcast possible. If you care to join us, please go to DignityMain.com to get involved. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. And take good care.